You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I think the sense of community that grows with people playing music together or listening to music together or talking about it is just so important for anyone, and especially people who are doing some kind of healing, whether it's emotional or physical or cognitive, to do that as a group just makes it that more powerful, and they see other people benefiting from it, and they're sharing it, and they're talking about it, and it just makes it happen even faster. You know, it's, it's something that we're very, very deliberate about at 317. We call ourselves a community music center as opposed to a school. This is a place that we want people to come to relax and to get the full experience out of the music, not something that they dread, not something where they feel like they're, they're coming to work. We put a huge emphasis and premium on the whole experience as being one that is enjoyable. We really want students to come and enjoy what they're doing, and it really is about play. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. And you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 33, Healing with Sound, which is airing for the first time on April 29th, 2012, on WLOB Radio. Our show is also available via podcast on iTunes, Dr. Lisa Belial. This week's show includes conversations with music therapist and founder of Maine Music and Health, Kate Beaver, and also Amy Kuhn and John Williams from 317 Main Street in Yarmouth, Maine. And today with me in the studio, we have our co-host, Genevieve Morgan, who is the wellness editor for Maine Magazine. Hi, Genevieve. Hi, Lisa. I think this show is so exciting because we all listen to music. Music is everywhere, but we never think of it as being a healing operative in our lives. Yes, we don't specifically often think of it as a quote-unquote therapy, although we know it's therapeutic. Yeah, I guess when you go get an MRI, they ask you to bring your iPod. <laughs> well, that's right. That's true. Although I think it's mostly so you don't have to listen to the giant magnet sounds, and which are a little disconcerting, but yes. But I think a lot of us can actually date our lives based on the music that we listen to, this sort of musical timeline. Well, actually, my brother turned 40 last year, and for his birthday, I made him a mixed playlist of a song from every year since he was born. Wow, that's ambitious. So 40 songs. Yeah. Okay, so tell me some of those songs, because I turned 40 last year, too. There was a Jackson 5 song. I think Katrina and the Waves was on there. Walking on Sunshine? <laughs> oh, you bet. Yep. yep. And I think there was um, some Rolling Stones. Um, and what was, la- what was last year? I, you know, I, just, I would go and I'd go do research, and I'd look at what the top hits of 1972 were, and then I'd remember what we were listening to in the car, and I'd put that song on. And... That is a big part of music. It, it's nostalgic. It can instantly bring us back to where we were at the time when we were hearing that song or who we were with. It's, it's been really interesting for me to see, but be part of the kind of iPod generation because, of course, when we were growing up, 
Um, it was all about cassettes. You know, I was after the age of vinyl and after the age of eight tracks, but it was mixed tapes. We had those. And then we went to CDs, but now we have iPods and now our kids can actually access a lot of the music that we listened to growing up. So it's not just digging your cassettes out and giving it to your, you know, 12 year old. It's like you just download whatever it was. So we've kind of made things that once were contemporary constantly. It's true. It is true. And so they're going to have their own own connections to music that we that are going to be completely different for them than they were for us. We are going to be listening to the same song, but inside our heads, two different things are going to be happening because they're listening to it in a different point in time than we were. Um, and I think that that's one of the interesting things about this show is that music works on many different levels. It works on mood. It works on emotion. Um, but it also works on your biology. As part of our deep dish, we're going to bring in our audio engineer, John C. McCain, who's also a world-class musician and guitarist. And he's going to give us some examples of how music not only affects our mood and can affect our productivity or our concentration or our focus, but it can also work on our brain waves. And there are different types of brain waves. Um, some of them are associated with sleep, but some of them are associated with being awake. So, John, can you give us an example of a music that would maybe be about the same frequency of a sleeping brain wave. Sure, Lisa. I think an easy way to do this is the use of binaural beats. So these are frequencies that are very close to one another that when listened to with stereo headphones produce a beating. And this beating sound that we uh, perceive with headphones is equivalent to the brainwave states that we're going to look at. So the first one's going to be very slow, three cycles per second, and it's a delta wave that you would have associated with deep sleep. How about a waking brainwave? Sure. For these next two examples of a waking brain state, we're going to hear the alpha waves, which are around 12 cycles a second. That's being awake and relatively relaxed. Then we're going to hear beta waves around 20 cycles when you're awake but quite alert. So this will be alpha followed by beta. What about a brainwave when you're watching TV? Sure. For this, we're going to use theta waves, which are around seven cycles a second and are associated with a very relaxed, almost disassociated brainwave state. People often get daydreamy or have ideas in this state, too, where we don't have to attend so much to what we're doing outwardly and we are somewhat more inwardly focused. So these are theta waves. There's a, a theory in music therapy called entrainment, which has to do with beats per minute or tempo of music and how music can lift or bring down your mood and your productivity. So we thought it'd be interesting to have John play different tempos uh, to so you guys out there can hear what music would, what kind of music you should play if you want to focus better, if you want to get jazzed up for your workout, or if you want to go to sleep. For instance, for inspiration and productivity, it's 60 to 90 beats per minute. 
So in order to give some sense of what it's like to respond to music at different tempos, I'm presenting the same piece of guitar music here three different ways at three different tempos. So here for inspiration, like you said, this is going to be 85 beats per minute. For peak performance, the best tempo is 90 to 140 beats per minute. So this is going to be that same piece of guitar music played at 110 beats per minute. For relaxation and de-stressing, a tempo of 30 to 60 beats per minute can be helpful. So to give you a sense of that slower, more relaxed tempo, here's that same piece of guitar music played at 55 beats per minute. So next time you shuffle your iPod, think about what you'd like to accomplish and then add the right soundtrack for the job. Well, thanks to John C. McCain for helping us out um, and showing us what brainwaves sound like and sounding, showing us what beats per minute we should be listening to for various things that we'd like to accomplish. Um, for those of you who are not aware, John is more than just our quote-unquote audio technician. He's our audio guru, and he's a musician. So the, all of the pieces that you hear on our show in between segments, in between sponsor spots, are actually offered by John McCain. Um, we believe that he's part of our Healing with Sound thing that we try to do every week. So thank you for um, listening this week, Genevieve. It's been uh, kind of a fun little deep dish that we've done. I agree. And I can't wait to talk more with Kate Beaver from Maine Music and Health, and with Amy Kuhn and John Williams from 317 Main Street in Yarmouth. We are fortunate at the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast to have the support of the University of New England, who sponsors a segment we call Wellness Innovations. This Wellness Innovation came from a March 2012 issue of Scientific American, The way you perceive things may be influenced by your playlist. Last year, researchers in the Netherlands found that the music one listens to can temporarily change a person's visual perception and affect what they think and see. In this study, 43 young adults were asked to look at a computer screen and perform a visual detection task. Multiple faint visual stimuli of either happy or sad faces were presented at one time in a visually noisy gray background. Experimenters told the participants to indicate whether they saw a happy or a sad face, 
and to not respond if they were not absolutely certain of what they saw. They also had the subjects listen to either happy or sad music while doing the visual detection task. Researchers found that people were best at detecting the mood of the face congruent with the mood of the music they were listening to at the time. In other words, people were most accurate at correctly detecting happy faces when listening to happy music and most accurate at detecting sad faces when listening to sad music. For information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For information on the very innovative University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we go forth out into the airwaves and hope that we are indeed ourselves healing with sound. So we thought it'd be kind of interesting to bring in somebody who officially heals with sound. We, we like to think of ourselves as healing with sound, but we know that Kate Beaver is a healer. She is a board-certified music therapist with a master's in music therapy. So Kate, thanks Hi. for coming in yes, today. thanks for having me. Kate, this is a really interesting topic for us. We've had musicians on the show before. And of course, John McCain, our audio, we call him our audio guru. He's a musician himself. So, and I sing. I feel very strongly about yes. music. Yep. You must too. I do, very how, much. How did you come to be a music therapist? Oh boy. Um, well, I started playing piano when I was in third grade and then switched to classical percussion. Um, so I learned drum set and timpani and mallet percussion. Um, and then I started teaching lessons when I was in junior high and high school to students with disabilities, either with sight issues or um, developmental disabilities. And I realized that I had kind of a gift for teaching music to people who learned in a different way. And so I wrote a research paper on that in eighth grade and found out that that was actually a field of music therapy. And it wasn't just teaching music, it was healing through music. So I've been interested in it since I was a kid. And classical percussion, I didn't even realize that was a thing. But it, yeah, I've played with a lot <laughs> of orchestras. Um, I still sort of sit in with the Bates Orchestra sometimes um, up in Lewiston. And I do some world percussion as well. And I play some solo percussion on marimba and vibraphone and stuff. What is it? What was it about percussion that drew it you? Drew me. In? Um, this is a good topic because I've noticed that everyone sort of has their thing about music that they really like, and mine is rhythm. Um, so I'm very drawn to rhythms of all kinds, and I kind of I'm one of those people who I can hear the rhythm everywhere I go. So when you're walking or when you're breathing or when you're around, you know, in the city and hearing all these noises, it's all kind of rhythmic which sounds like music to me. So I was always really drawn to it. And I never used to be much of a singer. I am now, but at the time I wasn't a singer. So I thought, well, I'll play the drums and then I won't have to sing. <laughs> so you sort of backed into a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So wait a minute. So you didn't used to be a singer, but you are now. How did that now. transformation occur? Well, I, I did sing in high school. I sang in um, chamber singers and chorus, but never as a solo singer. And I 
realized that I was going to need to do that if I was going to be working with people and trying to get them to sing. And I also realized how good it is for you to sing. It's, you know, it's good for your lungs and it's good for your breathing and just kind of makes you feel better in general. So I figured if I was going to be telling people that, I should embody it myself. So I started singing more. It sounds like there are different ways in which music can heal. And I know that, that we probably could spend, you know, <laughs> days and days talking right. about this. <laughs> Years. Right. But describe some of them. Okay. Um, I guess it depends on who you're working with. And I've seen a lot of music therapists working with different populations. Um, a big one right now is children with autism. Because I think the recent number that came out is 1 in 88 children are diagnosed with autism. And so everyone's trying to find ways to help them sort of integrate into classrooms and, and connect with other children and be able to express themselves. And music is a really powerful way to do that. Um, so I've seen a lot of people working with kids with autism. Um, some of the stuff I've done, I worked in the neonatal ICU for a while, and that was a way to help moms connect with their child through singing, since they weren't able to touch them yet. Um, Will you teach people how to play and sing, or do you play and sing for them? Um, some, it's a little bit of both, and it's not necessarily teaching them, but it's sort of allowing them to realize that they already have that skill. So I might, it's more of a facilitation. I'll try to facilitate that person to be able to sing or, you know, play the piano along with me. And I do it in such a way that it's easy for them. So it's not really a lesson, and they don't have to build all these musical skills that we as musicians have built up for a long time. It's just so that they can immediately do it and feel gratified by it so do you think that that's potentially one of the barriers to healing with sound is that people think that they have to be a quote-unquote singer or they have to play piano absolutely um and i think i think that's one reason that um it's important to have a music therapist or someone there to help facilitate that because i've run into that a lot when i was working in um, a hospital setting and i would go into a room and say i'm a music therapist would you like some music today and Many people, especially older people who've never tried it, were really apprehensive. They would say, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not a good singer, or I've never played piano. I never took lessons, or I quit that when I was a kid. And it's our job to say, okay, that's fine, and then sort of get them comfortable enough to at least try it and then facilitate the music so that they say, oh, I can do this, and it sounds really good. So, so there's a little bit of a marketing aspect to what there, you do. There's a huge marketing aspect. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with children with autism, I would think, because you, you can't necessarily, not every child with autism is going to know that they would like to do music therapy. Right. Um, but it's amazing, actually, the amount of children. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen a kid say no to music. As soon as you start playing it or start playing a drum or singing, they're immediately part of that and recognize um, one thing you can do with children with autism, actually, is some of them are just sort of vocalizing on their own. They might be making sounds. And so as a music therapist, I would just match those sounds. And all of a sudden, the kid notices that you're matching what he's doing. And you build a relationship with him. And then you can turn that into music on its own. And even people who don't consider themselves musical will revert when they're not thinking unconsciously to humming or whistling or making sound or singing in the shower. Yep. <laughs> And exactly. I know that you that many people use singing with stammerers. Mm -hmm. So what happens with music in the brain? That's true. Well, um, when you're speaking, actually, you're only using part of your brain. 
um, pe- some people say half your brain. It's not necessarily half. It's just specific parts. But when you're singing, you're using more of your brain. So it's once you start singing instead of speaking, it starts sort of firing off up there and making more connections. And all of a sudden, you're you're singing things that you wanted to be able to speak. So that's another thing you can do working with people who have brain injuries. You can help them figure out what they want to say and and put it to music. So they're singing it. And then you start taking that melody away, and they'll eventually be speaking it. So it's a good way to help people learn how to speak. And exactly with people who have a stuttering problem, it can help a lot too. So I noticed that you interned at Beth Israel's Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine. Mm-hmm. And this just struck me as um, interesting that you have the medicine and then you have yes. Louis Armstrong, who's yep. the, you know, the trumpet player with the giant cheeks. Yeah. And um, it's, that seems very forward thinking on their part. So I think Louis Armstrong noticed how um, important music was to people and even non-musicians and wanted to do something about that. So he founded that part of the hospital. And it, now it's a major part of the hospital, which I noticed is in most of the places in New York, um, music therapy is actually a huge part of healthcare, and I think that's really important. Um, and there's a lot of research coming out of that place, especially. We were doing research studies on music with COPD and asthma, so we would use recorders or flutes or singing to help people improve their breathing, which I think you'd probably know as a singer, breathing is a really big part of that, so it's really helpful. Um, and the same thing at Sloan Kettering, where I was, there was a lot of research happening, and it was an integrated part of the hospital. You'd go to the rounds and talk about all the patients with the doctors and get referrals, and it was a really exciting place to be. And you've brought this to Maine. Trying, yes. <laughs> and your, your company is called? Maine Music and Health, yep. So that was, um, that was one of my goals, actually. I'm from Maine, so I love it here, naturally. Um, but I also would really like to see music therapy grow here. Right now, I think there's only five or six of us spread throughout the state, um, which is a pretty small representation compared to other states, I guess. Um, and it's it's amazing the places that I've gone and done some music therapy sessions, how quickly it's grown, because people immediately notice, wow, this really works. It's really powerful. It's helping people achieve their non-musical goals faster than without music. So that's a nice thing to see. Um, but it is, it's just kind of a slower process, I guess. Kate, I know that you are a percussionist, so of course you deal a lot with rhythm. There's also melody and harmony, and, and these things do different th- things with regard to healing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I talked a little bit about rhythm already. I just, I really believe that rhythm is inherent in everyone. Um, not necessarily specific rhythms, like not everyone can play some polyrhythm on a snare drum, but just the way that you move and the way that you speak, you have a rhythm to yourself and other people have that too. So I think um, that's kind of how I connect with someone when I first start working with them is through rhythm. And especially being a percussionist, it's pretty easy for me to take out a percussion instrument and and share that with somebody. Um, Melody, I think, is is the most important thing for the general public because that's what people have in their minds all the time. So songs you hear on the radio or songs that you remember from when you were a little kid, you're going to remember the melody. You won't really remember what chords were played behind it or you know what the drummer sounded like, but you'll remember the song. Um, and you see that a lot working with people who have lost parts of their memory, um, adults with dementia and Alzheimer's. 
might not remember anything and then you'll mention a song and they'll remember the entire melody to that song so that's kind of a magical thing um and so I think that's why melody is important and then the harmony aspect of it is just what really drives the emotion of music so you might be singing a melody with somebody and they'll you know be smiling or saying oh that was my wedding song Um, but once you add the harmonic instrument to that a piano or a guitar or even a group of people singing together, that's what really makes that person start feeling the emotion of that song. And that's what brings out kind of the counseling side of it is when, you know, someone says, oh, that's my wedding song. But then they also start crying and say, I really miss my husband who passed away a few years ago. And you start a discussion just out of playing that song together. So, Music seems to also bring people together. I mean, Louis Armstrong, this was yeah. he was a trumpeter and he's when the saints go marching in yeah. and do you think that there is a healing that music can do on a larger scale definitely um i think the sense of community that is that grows with people playing music together or listening to music together or talking about it is just so important for anyone and especially people who are doing some kind of healing whether it's emotional or physical or cognitive to do that as a group just makes it that more powerful and you know, they see other people benefiting from it and they're sharing it and they're talking about it and it just makes it happen even faster. And if a, a group of different people are listening to the same piece, does mm-hmm. it cause them to sort of resonate? It depends. Um, there's a really amazing thing. If you get a group of people singing together, they really are feeling each other's vibrations and it's a really powerful thing that doesn't happen very often. Um, especially if you get people harmonizing with each other. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you'll hear all the overtones, and it's almost like you've created this musical cloud that's above everyone's head. And it's a really powerful thing um, for people to experience. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth, Accounting and Business Management Services, Payroll and Bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. What did you notice when you, you said that you started this process back in high school, mm-hmm. and you went to high school here in Maine? I, I did, in Gorham. In Gorham. And actually, they have a very strong music program, they for do. some reason, yep. out in Gorham, <laughs> and the University of Southern Maine at Gorham. Yeah. Um, but what did, what, what did you notice when you started teaching even back then? Mm-hmm. I think it's actually one specific person that I worked with that really changed my mind about what music was um, because when I was younger I was really focused on learning the specific notes and the perfect way to play things and performance and I still love that aspect of music. I love to perform um, but I was working with a young teenager. I think he was actually I think he was about nine when I started working with him and he had cerebral palsy and so half of his body, he couldn't actually move. So, you know, he was in a, I think he was in a wheelchair when I started with him, and his arm was in a cast that was kind of held to his side. 
And he also had autism, so he wasn't able to really communicate very well with people. He didn't speak. He just made some noises. And But he really liked the drums. His parents had noticed that he got really excited when the drummers would start playing at any kind of concert. So they wanted me to teach him drum set. So we started working at the drum set, and I kind of just based the lessons off of what he could do and started working with the right side of his body. And then I would hand over hand work with the left side of his body and sort of get him to play. And I think it was just so motivating for him to hear the music that he was creating that he began to do it on his own. And that eventually transferred into his home life where he was able to walk up the stairs with both feet and he was able to do things with both both his hands. And it was such a huge improvement and I saw the way that affected his family um, and and him. And it was just a really powerful moment for me. And I realized, wow, music did this. You know, it's not me, it's not him, it's, it's the music that we're doing together. And that changed my mind about everything. You've talked about autism. You've mm-hmm. talked about cerebral palsy. What other things can you help Yeah, people with traumatic brain injury can be helped by music in really specific ways. So you might try to help them walk again or get range of motion back by using instruments. So you might hold an instrument out to the left and have them reach across their midline. You can also help them relearn how to speak. I think I mentioned that before. Um, it's, it can help with cancer patients or really anyone who's been in the hospital for a, a length of time. It can help emotionally and it can help families reconnect. I've also done a lot of end-of-life care, so that's kind of a, a different thing. But the ways that that can help, um, you can work with the family to write some music or to choose some music that you want to play sort of at the end of life or at the funeral. And I've also worked with people who knew that they were going to pass away, and they would create music as a legacy to give to their family. So there are a lot of really powerful ways. And I I honestly believe you can use music with anything. And it's going to affect everybody differently. There's no specific music that works for one thing. It's just what that individual needs at any given moment. And it's just a way to meet their goals. Can you speak a little bit to the emotional side of music? Mm -hmm. For many people listening, and almost, I would think, all American teenagers right now, music Mm -hmm. becomes a powerful way to almost get through adolescence. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's very threatening to their parents. Sometimes it's not. Because music affects mood. Mm -hmm. And how does that work? And if you're in the mood for a sad song, does that mean you should listen to a sad song? (laughs) That's the big question, I guess. And I think that you can. I think it's a good way to let that emotion out in a really safe space. And especially with teenagers, it's a really safe way to express what you're feeling without hurting anyone or without offending anyone because it's just music and everybody likes music. And I I think you mentioned sort of like the, the scary thing that teenagers listen to that might be offensive to people. And I think what it is there is the power that comes from that kind of music. Specifically, I'm thinking of, you know, sort of the hard rock rap genre. Um, And I think it's just sort of an outlet. Um, And as far as feeling sad and wanting to listen to sad music, I think that's okay because you're, you want to feel sad. You want to sort of feel that and then let it go. And music is a good way to do that because music always has a beginning and an end. So you can feel that sad and then it ends and then you can move on. Um, as music therapists, we use something called entrainment, 
which is when you match someone's mood or someone's energy level or someone's body rhythms with music, and then you can bring that up or you can bring it down, and depending on what they need. And we've used that a lot. With um, You can actually see it in people in a coma. Um, if you're playing music for them and you're watching sort of the chart above their bed in the hospital, you can match sort of the heart rate or the breathing rate and then you can speed the music up or you can slow it down and you'll actually see their breathing or their heart rate speed up or slow down. That's incredible. Yeah. Have you needed to use music to heal any aspects of your life? All the time, I guess. Um, And I think that's one thing that's drawn me to it is I've always used music for myself. Um, I can't remember if I really went through an angsty rap phase in high school, but... (laughs) Um, but I've always chosen music that's really meaningful to me, and that's an exercise we did in grad school, actually, is we wrote sort of our musical biography. So we chose um, songs that represented who we were at different points in our life, and that was kind of a good experience to see what music means to me as well. And it, it really means a lot. It sort of represents everything I've ever gone through. So, Why come back to Maine? Well, uh, many reasons. One is that I just love Maine. It's a beautiful place. I'm really into biking and swimming and, you know, being near the ocean and the fresh air. Um, My family is still in Maine. A lot of them live in Gorham still. So that was part of the reason. But um, this career is really important to me. And I, I really think that people in Maine could benefit from having music therapy. And I want to see it grow here. So it was a tough decision because I was in New York with such a big support system and being part of these hospitals that were doing a lot of music therapy work. And it would have been easy to kind of stay there and and be a part of that. But I'd I'd like to see that same thing happen here. So that was the main reason I came back. You describe New York and you Mm -hmm. describe Maine. Mm -hmm. And you have said that you have always had a sense you can listen to what's going on around you and Mm -hmm. there's a rhythm to everything. Can you describe the difference between sort of the music of Maine oh, and yeah. the music of New York? Yep, I can. And that's a good question as far as what I listen to because my iPod is a good representation of that because what was on my playlists when I was in New York is very different from what was in Maine. And um, one example is that I really like bluegrass. I sort of grew up with bluegrass music. And when I was in New York, I was listening to some bluegrass music that was really upbeat and fast-paced, which is sort of what I feel when I'm there. You know, you're walking, and you're immediately walking at a faster pace in Manhattan. And you, you there's so many people around with so many different languages and different things to look at. And in, there's just, it's sort of a bunch of polyrhythms at the same time, I guess is how I would describe it. Um, and then coming back to Maine, it's just it sort of slowed down a little. I feel like my own breathing has slowed down, the music I listen to has slowed down a little bit, and I think of the rhythms in Maine more of the ocean rhythm, just sort of a a calm wave, and then, you know, running on on dirt roads, basically. So you have more ballads on your iPod now. (laughs) Exactly, I think so. And, you know, I love fast-paced things. I loved being in New York and that, you know, but I think it's good to have that balance, be able to do both. Is there a music associated with silence? Oh, well, John Cage might say yes. <laughs> um, I, that's a good question. I think I actually use silence a lot, and I think it's a really important part of music. Um, even music that you wouldn't say, oh, there's a lot of silence in that, just pauses in music and time to take a breath. All of that is very important, and I think just having some silence can be really good, too. 
How can people find out more about Maine Music and Health? And I know you have an event coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, they can go to my website, mainemusicandhealth.com, or um, email me at mainemusicandhealth at gmail.com. Um, and I've been working with this amazing music school in Yarmouth called 317 Main Street. And um, I think they'll be speaking a little bit later, but we're going to do some events together. Um, we're doing a group at the Cancer Community Center in a few weeks. And I am speaking at the um, American Cancer Society Conference, which is in the beginning of May. So there's a few events coming up, actually, which are really exciting. So. And you'll put those on your website? They are, yep. Do you have a Facebook page? I do have a Facebook page. Um, I think it's just Maine Music and Health. Very good. Well, Kate, it's been so interesting. I have so many questions I could keep <laughs> asking you, but thank you so much for bringing yes. this back to the state of Maine. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. really valuable service that you're offering, and thanks for coming yeah. in. Thank you. Our bodies are often the first indicators that something isn't quite working. Are you having difficulty sleeping? anxiety or chronic pain issues? Maybe you've had a job loss, divorce, or recent empty nest. Dr. Lisa specializes in helping people through times of change and inspiring individuals to create joyful, sustainable lives. Visit doctorlisa.org for more information on her Yarmouth, Maine medical practice and schedule your office visit or phone consult today. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. With offices in Yarmouth, Maine, the Shepherd Financial team is there to help you evolve with your money. For more information on Shepherd Financial's refreshing perspective on investing, please email tom at shepherdfinancialmaine.com. Earlier, we spoke with Kate Beaver, music therapist, about healing with sound. And we're going to be speaking with two people who are doing a very different type of healing, but also with sound. Today, we have with us John Williams, Executive Director, and Amy Kuhn, Development Director from 317 Main Street in Yarmouth. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks. What was the, what was the impetus? Why was it important to bring in a place where people could learn music on Main Street in Yarmouth? Well, 317 is about uh, seven years old now, and um, it was the brainchild of a guy named Peter Milliken who had this incredible idea about community and bringing people together and having music be this incredible, powerful um, thing that all of us have within ourselves that um, that we can all access. And he felt that uh, community is important and Yarmouth was a great place to create something like this. So it was really his idea to, to buy a building on Main Street and have music be the featured thing that brought community together. Um, that was seven years ago. And um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization and have grown considerably over the last seven years to where we now have over 400 people per week come through for various types of music programming, lessons and groups and, and, uh, and band play. And you yourself play an instrument? I do. I do. I, uh, I was board chair from the beginning, so I sort of was part of 
the the dream and um, and thinking about how this could work. Um, I uh, started playing music seriously about eight years ago, and uh, I play the mandolin. I messed around with guitar and banjo when I was in college, and sort of went other ways, but then came back to music about eight years ago, and um, I've really got the passion for it, and um, it's an amazing place to, to be because you hear music all day long. What was it about mandolin that you decided, this um, is the instrument for me? Sure. Um, I traveled a ton. I did uh, environmental consulting work before I became executive director two years ago, and um, so I was on an airplane all the time, and I wanted an instrument that I could bring with me, and mandolin was perfect because it fit in the overhead compartment rack. So that was really the impetus for, for, uh, for playing that instrument. It's a very practical approach to bringing music into your life then. Absolutely. How about you, Amy? Do you play an instrument or sing? or? Uh, <clears throat> I'm embarrassed to say people ask me that all the time, and I have to tell them I'm the only muggle up there at 317 because <laughs> I, I am not a musician, although I, I strive to become one. Um, and I am a real believer in community, and that that's a really central part to everyone's well-being. Well uh, so that part, really, I, I connect with at a personal level. Children, adults, who is your audience? So um, we, as I mentioned, we have about 400 students that are enrolled now. Um, we run three sessions through the year, a fall, spring, and, um, and kind of a, a fall, winter, and, and spring. Um, about... 75% of our students are under the age of 18. So a huge percentage is of, of kids who uh, are interested in music and um, really that's just part of what their, their growing up experience is. We have 25% um, plus or minus that are adults and these are people who are professionals and um, come in after work and they will schedule being part of an ensemble or a private lesson. And I was one of those people when I started. And, you know, as a professional that is into the music, you like literally scheduled your week around that date. And it became a really special time in the week that was very, very sacred. And that's what a lot of our adult students are like. And the community you're building doesn't only have extend to your students, it also extends to your faculty, which I mean, there are some incredible names on your on your faculty list, and 317 has become this home for them. Amy, do you want to speak to that? Sure. I think that is something that's really unique about 317 that sets it out sets it apart from other um, venues to learn music is that you're in a community of musicians of people who are out working, playing gigs, creating music themselves, and so it lends for a really vibrant, really dynamic environment for students of all ages. Is there a a performance aspect to the training that goes on at 317? Yeah, it's really um, it's really important. We, we focus on a couple of things up there. Um, group play is, uh, is, is hugely important. When we started out, it was, it was a lot of private lessons. I think the teachers were more comfortable teaching private lessons. Um, music is a lot more fun when you play with a group. And so over the last couple of years, we've really put an emphasis on, on group play, and we've tried to establish a lot of different vehicles to get people involved in group play. Once you get comfortable playing in a group, then the next logical thing is to learn how to perform. And um, we are, are we, we strongly emphasize that. We have recitals that we offer during each session. Um, we do a lot of outreach. In fact, we get a ton of calls from organizations around Portland who would love to have music um, students play at their various functions. So we're constantly looking to put together ensembles and creating opportunities for our students to get um, to perform. It's sort of you know part of the logical progression, and it's really interesting to see 
students who first go from really not knowing a chord to being able to stand on a stage and play in front of other people. It's an amazingly powerful thing and the energy that people get from doing that is, is wonderful. Well, I like this idea of group play. You know, we think about playing music and a lot of times music becomes so serious. It's all about the lessons and the learning piano. And we all have these weird, like, I don't know, when I was in fifth grade, I had like band anxiety because I was never as fast as the other flautists, you know. <laughs> but it's play. I mean, this is, we all have music in us. Is that something that resonates with you? You know, it's it's something that we're very, very deliberate about at 317. We call ourselves a commu community music center as opposed to a school. Um, this is a place that we want people to come to relax and to get the full experience out of the music, not something that they dread, not something where they feel like they're, they're coming to work. Obviously, to progress in music, there is a commitment that's involved in that, but we put a huge emphasis and premium on, on our teachers and the whole experience as being one that is enjoyable and is very, very relaxed. I think we kind of differentiate ourselves from a lot of music schools for that reason. Um, we, we really want students to come and enjoy what they're doing, and it really is about play. And your space reflects that. It's a beautiful old house with gorgeous windows and tons of light, and then you also have a cafe, and uh, Amy, what else is there? There's art on the walls. The cafe is open uh, Monday through Thursday from 2 to 6, and we have a variety of healthy snacks for anybody who's coming in after school or after work. And anyone can come to the cafe. You absolutely. don't have to be a musician. You can, yep, yeah. absolutely. Open to the public, and you can hear some great music going on. Um, we also do feature art exhibits several times a year from community artists, um, and we host community events whenever we're has to do so when we can. From what I understand, it's not just people playing instruments. You also have voice at your center? We do. We teach a, a total of 11 instruments, voice being one of them. Um, our top instrument is piano, and uh, I think that's about 30% of our, of our population. And then guitar and voice is, uh, is third, and the voice program has really grown in the last couple of years, and we see that program continuing to grow. We would like to do a lot with community choirs and uh, community sing-along types of events, which we're sort of in the process of, of thinking through. When Genevieve and I were in Yarmouth interviewing Dr. Christian Northrup, we had the sense that Yarmouth is this interesting draw for healers, and I think it might be for music as well. My daughter's in the chamber choir at the high school. My son was in the chamber choir at the high school. Music, arts, drama, do you have that sense as well? Oh, I think so. I think there's a real, um, a really strong arts community as reflected in, I think there's two or three different arts organizations just in Yarmouth in terms of visual and performing arts. So I think that that's true. It's a creative group. And, and you're growing, right? You're not just in Yarmouth anymore. That's right. We have studios in Portland now at Acoustic Artisans on Forest Avenue. Um, and we're, we welcome new students in Portland for sure. What is it about Maine that makes art, music, in your opinions, art and music so important, so fundamental to life? It's a really interesting kind of dynamic. I think that, that we're very fortunate here in Portland to have an incredibly strong and thriving arts community. Um, 
an amazing array of, of musicians live in Portland. And um, it really wasn't until, you know, we started the, the, the music center in Yarmouth and started to look around for talent that we realized how rich it is. Um, and I think that, that it's only continuing to grow. Once we started 317, um, really nationally known musicians have, have come to Portland. And we feel very proud that 317 is part of what's drawing people of that caliber to this area. I mean, it's a beautiful place to live. Um, it's more affordable than some of the other cities, and yet it's very accessible to some of the other cities. And I think that the way I've observed it with musicians is once some move to an area, it attracts others. And we've been really, really fortunate to be able to, to um, participate in that. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Akari, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness, and style, located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook and learn more about their new boutique and medispa at akaribeauty.com. And by Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, makers of Dr. John's Brainola Cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. It seems as though, because on this show we have interviewed artists and architects and restaurateurs and cooks and musicians, it just seems like we're a, we're a people that likes to savor life. Do you find that in people who come in to take lessons or participate in the group play? I think we still have a ways to go. Uh, I've spent a ton of time in Europe, and those people know how to embrace life. Um, but I think that that we, as Northeasterners, as Yankees, are, are coming a long way in that in that area. And I think that just the Friday Art Walk that um, that Portland has, and the number of venues that attract amazing musicians, the organizations that are really focusing on the arts, the the people that are supporting the arts, um, it's a very very rich art community. You have a, a great event coming up. Speaking of bringing people together. We do. Our biggest event of the year is called Henry Fest. It's a full-day, family-oriented outdoor music festival that takes place in the fall. This year it's going to be on Sunday, September 9th from noon to 7 at the very beautiful bucolic Skyline Farm in North Yarmouth. And um, it's just a great day. It's a full day of music. We've got some great bands already booked for this year. Um, lots of delicious, healthy local foods, kids' activities from face painting and games and costumes and story corners, all that kind of stuff. It's really, it's a great way for our whole community to come together. And I think it's a great fundraising event because it's so tied to who we are and what we are all about. It's all ages, all, all ages, all abilities at a low cost to come together and enjoy the day. Um, and I, I mention it now in particular because it is our time to start um, attracting volunteers to come and plan this huge event. It takes many hands, and we would welcome anybody who might be out there who wants to participate. We'd love to have you join our team. How do people get in touch with you to do that? Uh, can I give my email address? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. It's amy, A-M-Y, at 317mainst.org. We'd love to hear from you. Last year, we actually had a huge crew of teenagers come, which worked out great. They got community service hours, and uh, we got the benefit of their enthusiasm. So if you're a teen or if you're the parent of a team, come and volunteer together. This is our Healing with Sound show, and you work with a lot of kids and a lot of adults. What types of um, 
cognitive and developmental behavioral benefits have you noticed, whether it's with children or adults um, who have come through to take advantage of your services? There's a lot of studies that have been published about the benefits of music. In fact, it's it's amazing. I, I'm constantly looking at that material and, and seeing, you know, what the new latest studies are. But the basic things that I've come across, it's just amazing in terms of brain development in a, in a younger person. Um, music just does a thing where it helps the brain develop in, in ways and create channels that, uh, that aren't otherwise necessarily developed. Um, so I think that that's sort of the technical reason. I think that for us, what we try to do is to um, bring joy. And um, when you come in the door, there's a certain sense that we try to create and preserve a 317, which is a feeling of joy. It's a happy place. Uh, we make a point of greeting everybody very um, um, in, a in a very focused way when they come in the door, helping them feel like they belong to this community. Um, and then when they get into the room, be able to joke around a little bit, make it fun, laugh, um, play. I think for adults, um, it's really about a place where they can come and kind of put down the worries of the day and really get into an environment that is that is is relaxed and comfortable. And again, it's about fun, and that's that's a that's a huge premium that we put on on everything that we do there. And when you find that people have the joy in their lives, are they able to better? maybe tackle the work in their lives? Are the kids more focused on their homework? Do adults find a greater ability to focus on what they need to get, quote unquote, need to get done? You know, I think that that's, that that's all true. I can just, you know, talk from my own experience. When I'm practicing, playing, um, it really requires you to turn off other parts of what may be chatter in your mind. And that is, becomes almost a meditation. And um, I, I practice an hour a day, and that really is my meditative time to really cancel everything else out and really just get into the moment and really um, put all of my energy and focus into that. There's also something about music, um, which is about time. And it's, it, there's, a, there's a time in that. And I think that there's, there's a resonance in, in all of life that's based on time. And music sort of puts you in touch with that. I would also say that there are um, a huge number of sort of psychosocial benefits that come from the kids working collaboratively with each other. 317 um, runs a number of outreach programs to um, youth-oriented organizations with at-risk and disadvantaged youths. And I have seen firsthand um, the benefits of seeing these kids have a positive peer collaboration experience from the confidence that comes from developing skills, um, enjoying the mentoring relationship that they experience with their teachers, you know, all of those types of softer benefits that maybe aren't a part of their regular life, but really contribute to who they, who they are and who they become. Well, Kate spoke earlier about music, particularly for adolescents, being a way to have an emotional catharsis, to express emotion in a safe and contained way. And I would imagine that playing music is that even more so. I, I was lucky enough just last night to go to a culmination performance at the Long Creek Youth Development Center where 317 has been leading some songwriting classes with um, some residents there. And they played some amazing songs where they just um, let out all the, the same themes and the same issues that every adolescent deals with, but just so beautifully and so profoundly. I was really impressed. Um, but we went around the room afterwards and I just said to them, what does this mean to you? What did this music and what did this class do for you? And they said, well, um, one of them said, well, it just gave us a chance to be real. And that really spoke to me. 
I'm impressed with all the work that you're doing. And I know that it's always interesting for me to drive by 317 Main and just know that there's this nidus of creative energy that's occurring right in the middle of town. You've spoke about, spoken about volunteers. Um, what other ways can people get involved with 317 Main? Oh, we have youth student groups come in and we have adults come in. We would welcome you anytime from maintaining our beautiful historic building to helping out at our events. Um, we donating have, money. Donating money always helps. <laughs> but and by all means, if you have any interest, get in touch and we will talk to you and find out what your skill sets are and what you're interested in getting out of it. How can people donate if they want to? You can donate securely online through PayPal at our website, which is 317 Mainst. Org. Yeah, our website is pretty complete um, in terms of listing all of what we, we offer in our various programming. Um, you can go, always call the front desk, and either Jenny or Marie are there to take your call and um, are very friendly and answer your questions. And, um, and then uh, really reaching out to any of our instructors. All of our instructors, we have 22 on our staff, and they're all performing musicians, and they perform around Portland a lot. So even just going up to them and introducing yourselves to them is great, too. I would also just add that for the first time this summer, we're going to be offering one-week summer camps, which is a great way to get started. Um, if you're thinking about trying an instrument, they're open to all ability levels. We can find a way to fit you into the band. So that's something else to keep in mind. Well, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us today on our Healing with Sound show, and we appreciate all the great work you're doing up there in Yarmouth. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 33, Healing with Sound, first airing on April 29th, 2012. Our guests today included music therapist Kate Beaver and Amy Kuhn and John Williams of 317 Main Street in Yarmouth. We at the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast hope that you are healed with the sound or by the sound of our voices or perhaps inspired or perhaps given the chance to think more about the types of things that are going on in your community that can contribute to your own health and wellness. For more information on our guests, visit doctorlisa.org. We hope that you're taking the time to build your own Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast podcast library. You can do so by going to iTunes, Dr. Lisa Belial, and downloading all of the 33 shows that are currently available. We also hope that you have liked us on our Dr. Lisa Facebook page, and that perhaps you will take the time to let us know what you think about our Healing with Sound show or any of the other shows you might have listened to. We're always looking for feedback, and we're always looking for good ideas for future shows. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for being a part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Chris Cast and Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Jane Pate. 
For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. And tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m., or streaming wlobradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.